Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. I want to speak about in part proclamation, and I just want to read uh, some verses, and then we'll, uh, we'll look into it. It's in 2 Corinthians 4, 13 to 18. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How do you say transient? Transient. That's it, right? Thank you. <laughs> I had some doubts about it. So Woodrow Wilson said that the only use of an obstacle is to be overcome. All that an obstacle does with brave men is not to frighten them, but to challenge them, men and women. But that, that was his quote. I cannot change it. <laughs> That's what he said. So I want to speak today about empowered proclamation. Uh, and I want to speak about some factors that empower our proclamation of God and the proclamation of, our, of the gospel that we, we should proclaim every day in our world. So we carry in our hearts uh, a living message. And that message is that Christ died for us and that he wants to bring salvation to the people who put trust in him. But what, happened many time, what happens many times is that while we know our product, like we know the gospel and we know Jesus, we don't really have the courage to speak it out. Like uh, some couple of weeks ago, I, was to, I went to Starbucks with Pastor Mark, and while I was queuing, the guys asked me, what do you want? And I said, I want uh, frappuccino, chocolate frappuccino, something like this. And the guy looks at me and said, oh, that's good choice, nice. And then he's like, would, would like cream on top as well. I was like, yes, please. And he's like, oh, you're having the whole thing today, right? And I said, yes, thank you very much. So he, they were really nice because you could see that he knows what he's selling. And he knew his product and he was like, that's a good choice. Like, you know what you're doing, continue get the frappuccino, which I did. So while I, was, while I was waiting for the frappuccino to come, two minutes after someone says, Vlad, frappuccino, and like, that's me. And I'm like, how do you know my name? Because, you know, normally they ask for your name, but they didn't ask me my name then. And I was like, how do you know my name? And I think it's because of Luke, because they saw me with him sometimes, so they somehow remembered my name. But I really sort of fell in love with them. One, they knew their product, and they liked it, and I could see their genuinity when they were talking, and plus they knew my name, which is really helpful. So I was like, I want to go Starbucks every day, which I know it's, it shouldn't be like this, because, you know, it's not really good. <laughs> so, some, but sometimes, you know, as, as these guys from Starbucks or from any other... Uh, show that they know what they're selling. Sometimes we should fall in love with our own product, if I can say. And of course, Jesus and the gospel and Christianity is not a product. In a way, it doesn't really need promote, promoting, but we do need to speak about it because this is what Jesus has said, you know, go and speak and preach the gospel. And sometimes we have the desire to do it, we want to do it, but then in the moment when we want to open our mouth to, to speak about it, that's when we're like, oh, I don't have the courage. Because, you know, wherever you work and in your families, there are some forbidden words among people that don't believe in God. Like, 
like Jesus Christ, like don't say the word, Christianity, church, Bible, God, and others. Like, you know that once you say that word, man, they already put a label on you. You're like, hey, whatever, extremist, or who knows what they will say about you. And it's like, I don't want to say these words because I don't want them to sort of reject me. So then we, we come then to church, knowing that God loves us, and we come on Sunday, someone's preaching about, speaking about God, and then all of a sudden in our minds, sort of, Thoughts come to our minds that say, you're a hypocrite. How can you lo- love God and yet you don't speak about him? And then you feel sad and you feel like God doesn't love me. And then you try to convince yourself that God loves you. And then you go out the door and then on Monday, say, okay, this time I'm going to do it. This time I'm going to speak about God to my friends. Uh, and then when you do it again, you like feel that they will reject you. And because you feel you, they reject you, you will not speak about God. But then you feel rejected by God because you feel that they reject you. And so on, you're like in an infinite loop of rejection and disappointment. And you feel frustrated because you, you really have the desire to do it, but you just can't do it because there is fear or there, there are many obstacles that we face uh, when we try to speak about God. So today I want to speak about uh, factors that we should really empower proclamation of God. Because many times we have the desire to do it, but we cannot explain it why we can't do it. We, we, we sincerely love God. We, st- we come in church where it's really brilliant. We want to worship and sing to God with our friends. We want to be like in his presence just to be with him sincerely and genuinely. But then we get out of this door and that's when it's like, God, I'm so sorry I, I'm not speaking about you. And I, I feel like this sometimes. I just don't have the courage or how can I speak to them? And there is this fight within my mind and maybe within our hearts. It's like, I know I totally love God with everything I am, but in the same time, why can't I speak about him to my friends? So today I want to speak about the three factors that will empower our proclamation of God. And I really pray that in his love, uh, God and the Holy Spirit will really show us that he is the, the source of the power that we have to proclaim God everywhere. But we know that it is important. We, we need to start by understanding that proclaiming God and pro- Proclaim the gospel, proclaiming Jesus to our friends and families is really important. It has an eternal significance because if we do it, they will be saved and they will be with God forever. But let's look at the three factors that will empower our proclamation. And the first one is the spirit of faith because the verse says that you have the same spirit of faith living within you. Our set of beliefs will empower our set of words because we can only speak out of what we know. You cannot speak about it and you cannot teach about things that you really don't know. And there are many people who like speak empty words because even though they have the knowledge of it, they don't really live, live it. It's like a self-checkout machine at Waitrose. And it's like, uh, have a software electric card? Please put your items in the bagging area. Please take a receipt. It's like it transmits no emotion there. It's like it's just a machine. And sometimes I feel like a machine as well because I know God loves me. I know God, God is amazing. I know God is the best in the world. But sometimes I'm not really, people can feel that I'm not really speaking out of a relationship with that God because a machine cannot have a relationship with anything. And sometimes I feel like this. And I ask myself, what, what is the, that one thing that really uh, adds to my words, like makes, makes people feel that what I'm saying, I'm living, that what I'm saying is true, that what I'm saying is really life-giving and brings life to everyone. And... Sometimes, uh, I, when you go to the shop or you go to the machine, you really don't feel appreciated by that self-checkout machine. Because <laughs> it, it says the right words, but it, it doesn't make you a sort of, oh, I fall in love with your Starbucks, I want to come and buy again, you know? <laughs> and when we speak, we need to be in that place where people sort of fall in love with our words because they know they're genuine. They know they come from a place where it's really like 
I know what I'm talking about. And you can sort of feel these people when someone is talking, sort of know, do they speak from their head only or do they speak from their heart as well? That's why, in a way, it's the same for us. We have the same spirit of faith that empowers us to speak. We have nothing to to fear about anyone because God, the Holy Spirit, lives within me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. We know this. So God himself lives in me and God himself empowers me to speak out. So the first factor that imparts our proclamation is God himself, is the fact that the spirit of faith lives in me. It means that I have the faith to speak out, and while I speak, I know that God will bring salvation to the people that listen to the message. So if you are afraid to speak, or if you feel like, I cannot just speak the words out of my mouth, remember that the spirit of faith lives within your heart and mind, and that he is the one who will empower you to open your mouth and speak of God's love and grace. So the most important thing, the main factor, the first one, is that we have the spirit of faith, which means that we do not fear anything. It's not the spirit of fear, but it's the spirit of faith, which means that we move on and we proclaim boldly with loads of courage because God lives within us and he's on our side and he's the one who helps us. Secondly, the second factor that imparts our proclamation is the knowledge and the assurance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says we speak knowing... So we speak out of a knowledge that he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that's the, the same spirit of faith that lives within us, the Holy Spirit, the same, the same, the, that he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also raise us and bring us into his presence. So the second thing is that we speak out of a knowledge that we will be resurrected and that we will live with God for eternity. And that is a bit like crazy and it sounds like sci-fiction, right, in a way especially if, if you're not really a believer and I'm saying that we will be resurrected and live eternally, that's a bit like crazy. But <laughs> it is important as Christians to believe, first of all, that Jesus did resurrect from the dead. And of course, I don't have the time to give you all the, the facts, but go and search for yourself. And for now, just trust me that what I'm saying is true. Jesus' resurrection has been proven as a fact both historically, archaeologically, and eyewitnesses have seen him resurrected. And there was this guy, Gilbert West. Uh, he was included in Samuel Johnson's Lives of the Most Eminent English Poets. And as a student at Oxford, he tried to prove that Jesus did not resurrect. And uh, instead, he proved to himself that Christ did resurrect from the dead, and then he was converted. So this guy was trying to say, I'm going to prove, you know, this sort of arrogance that man sometimes has. I proved that Jesus did not resurrect. And little did he know God was actually working on his heart and he did convert to God. And then he, he, he said this, blame not before thou hast examined the truth. He wrote in one of his, uh, in, 14, in 1747, evidence, history and evidences of the resurrection of Jesus. So we need to believe that Jesus did resurrect from the dead. Even, even if you sort of don't believe in your heart, just examine it. Because many times we tend to believe things that we just hear, including my preaching, just examine that what I'm saying is true and examine that Jesus did resurrect from the dead. Why is this important? Because Christianity and everything we believe in is based on the resurrection of Jesus. The people who died in the first years, 30, 40 years AD, they died because they didn't want to give up on the claim that Jesus resurrected from the dead. I saw a thing on Facebook this week. It was called like Atheism 101. uh, And it says something like, uh, the atheists see that God doesn't exist, but the people who died, they died because they saw Jesus resurrecting from the dead. So who on earth would be so crazy to die for a lie? And we have hundreds and hundreds of 
Christians martyred in the whole world because of Jesus' resurrection, because they did believe and they, they did see him. It's like 500 names on, in the Bible, okay? So just believe me for now, but go and look for yourself that Jesus did resurrect. So Christianity is based on this. Jesus resurrected from the dead, and the Bible says that you will be resurrected as well with him and be brought into his presence. Because Why is this encouraging? Because it emphasizes on the two most important pillars of Christianity. One is that we do not fear death because we know that we will be resurrected with Christ. Secondly, we will live with Christ forever. Eternity and resurrection. So death cannot stop us and time cannot stop us. There is nothing that can stop us because we belong to God. So we will resurrect. If I die in this moment, if I die tonight, I know that I will be with God at some point. If I, if I uh, die in this moment, I know that my eternity is with God. So I have this in my mind, and this empowers me to speak. I have nothing to fear. I don't feel anything. Imagine the sort of lives we would live. Imagine the courage and the boldness we will have if we understand that we will be resurrected with God and we will eternally. So never ending, living with God in a perfect place where there is no more disease, no more trouble, no more sickness, nothing. That's, that's what will happen for those who put their trust in God. And this is a foundation. This is a fact that empowers my proclamation. I have the courage to speak this because I know that I have the assurance of my salvation. This is what the Bible teaches. Imagine you mothers and parents generally, your, your child is born, he cannot be unborn. You know, he just is out, you know? And you cannot do anything about it after. And it's the same with Christianity. We are called newborn believers when we just first make a decision for God. And you are a newborn believer but God will take care of you as parents, take care of their children, will always take care of them. So as Christians, we need to have the full assurance, 100%, that any time I live this world or die, I am with God. And nothing and no one can, can stop this. There is nothing that can separate from God's love. No present times, no future times, no things seen or unseen, no trials, no anything else in the world. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are his child and you will never stop being his child as long as you put your trust in him. And that is really important for us as Christians to understand and to believe. Uh, imagine the parable of the prodigal son, as we call it. I, I, imagine if you read just half of the parable, okay? So read, he basically wants to rebel, leaves the house, goes that whatever, does whatever he wants in the world, and then the parable stops there. What would we say? He lost it. He basically didn't do anything with his life, he flopped it. But then it continues. It says that at some point he really came to his senses and he went back to the house. And while he was going to the house, the father was outside waiting for him. The father ran towards him, kissed him, hugged him, put a ring on his fingers, put a, a cloak on, on uh, his shoulders and said, you are my son, come back in my house. And it's the same for us as Christians. Sometimes we are far from God. Sometimes we may be doing our own thing, but somehow in our hearts we know like, I want to go back to God. Or there is something in your heart that's like, I need to put my trust in God. Know this, that God is waiting for you. God is always outside the house. He's not like chilling on the sofa, watching TV. He's really eager to wait for you to come. And when you come, he'll run towards you and hug you and say, you are mine, I never let you go. Even when you are far, you are still my child. You didn't unbecome my child while you were out. You just did your thing, but there is grace for you and come back into my heart, come back in my family. That's why we as Christians are empowered by the assurance of the salvation that we have in God. If I die, I resurrect with him. If I die, I get to live with him forever. That's why we say that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I win by dying, and that's crazy. Because the worst thing that can happen in this life for me is to die, basically. That's the ultimate punishment. That for us as Christians, that is a win. 
Like, just do it, you know. If you want to kill me, no, no pressure. I get to be sooner with God, you know. So really, I, I have nothing, nothing to lose. And as Christians, we need to understand this. For us to die is gain, and to live is Christ, because we will gain that which we live for. Then the third, the third, third factor that imparts our proclamation is grace. Is the grace of God, because the, the text says that grace increases and it's extending in the same time. This means that when we proclaim Christ, grace increases as it brings glory to God. It also extends as it brings salvation to the people that we speak to, to our families and to our co-workers. Imagine that, let's say this balloon is the grace, and uh, you want to play with a child, and you say, like, like play with the balloon. And that's sort of useless, you know, because they cannot do anything with, with the balloon. But then when you inflate it, so now we're going really child-minded, okay? When you inflate and give it to them, it's like the best thing that happens in their lives sometimes. I've seen those videos of missionaries going in different countries. And you, you see a balloon, how, a whole village of kids, they run and just play with it. Such joy that it brings to them because they have never seen a balloon in their lives. This is, and the Bible says that grace increases and is extending. So I'll try to... Oops. Stop before I pass out. <laughs> so imagine this is grace. It says that the more I speak, the more it extends and increases. The more I blow on this balloon, the more it will uh, inflate and it will become bigger and bigger. And this is grace. This is how, in a way, this text describes grace. The more you speak it out, the more you proclaim it, the more it increases and it extends to your family, which means that they need to come in contact with grace, and then grace will sort of, I cannot do it now, but it will overtake them, you know? will come like over and say, oh, God's grace is really amazing. <laughs> so, what imparts our proclamation? The knowledge and the assurance that while we proclaim God's grace, it brings salvation to the people we live. But grace unspoken or unproclaimed, it's quite like, mm, I can't do anything about it. And we know it, we know it works for our lives. What we need to do is to speak it out because it will extend. One, it will bring glory to God because he will be like, full of joy to see people saved. Secondly, it will bring salvation to the people that we, we live with. And it is important for us. We want God's grace in all of our families. We want everyone we know to know how much God loves them. We want them to know that God, Jesus Christ, died, and he died for all those who put their trust in him, which means that if I put my trust in Jesus, I have eternal life. If I put my trust in Jesus, no matter how many sins I've done in my life, grace is bigger than this. No matter how wrong I've been in my life, grace is bigger than this. No matter how far I was from God, grace brings me back home. This is grace. It's, in a way, the personification of Jesus Christ. He is grace himself. So when we proclaim grace, we say, guys, it's okay, there is forgiveness in Jesus. There, is, there are new, three, new chances, second, fourth beginnings, whatever beginnings you want. No matter how, much, how far you are from God, God says, I'm here, I'm waiting for you. I'm outside the house. I want to welcome you in my family. And we need to proclaim this grace for people. Why? Because people don't know what grace means. Because as, as the, the kids from these countries don't know what a balloon is and they're really full of joy, this is in the same way people don't know what God's grace is. And the way they, they know it is by us proclaiming it. Because grace is one of the things that no other religions in the world brings. What other religions show, show a God who has love for a sinful people? No other religion. Because in other religions, you need to, you need to prove to God, that God, that you, you deserve forgiveness. And even then, you're not sure that you really, 
you really get it. Now let's take Islam, for example. No, they believe in Allah, 99 names. None of the names means love. And the word grace doesn't exist in their vocabulary. How is this possible? So they believe in a, in a God who, if he wakes up in one morning, he didn't have a, bad, he didn't have a good night, he's like, I'm not forgiving you. That, this is the God they believe in. We take guys that believe in reincarnation. You live all your life. If you do one sin, one sin, you might reincarnate in a whatever, butterfly. Because butterfly is good, actually. Something worse, if you want. <laughs> that, that, and that is their belief. That is their belief. So they, none of them has the assurance that God loves them. And that no matter how many sins you've done, you put your trust in him. And he will help you. He will forgive you. And he will help you to live a, a better life. And this is the only thing. Christianity is the only religion that proclaims this. That empowers us. Grace of God, as it's proclaimed, it grows and brings salvation to the, whole, to the whole world. Not religion, not rules or anything. God's grace. And then, of course, in his love, God will help us and teach us how to walk in a way that is worthy of his calling and of, of him. So, we did this. Now, sometimes I know it's hard. And then maybe in our minds we know what I just said now, these three factors. But I know sometimes it's really, really hard. It's like you're there and it's like you feel like you want to give up. Someone told me in the first service she's been praying for her, her husband for 42 years to, for him to get to know God. Now that's really like patience, you know. Like, <laughs> it's a lot. I, I was thinking about it. It's like, and I said to her, like, I was thinking, what can I say to her, God? Because she's been praying. She's really patient. I said, the only thing is like, don't give up. Just continue, because that's why Paul says, so we do not lose heart. We said, we gave this, but we don't give up, guys. I know it's hard, and I know sometimes we don't understand why God, God doesn't just intervene like this, but we do not lose heart. We do not give up, no matter how hard it is. So I want to look at three reasons why we should never give up. And the first one is renewal, because it says, though our outer self is being wasted, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And Michelangelo Bonarotti said, the more the marble wastes, the more the statue grows. I, I like this quote. I, I found it this week. What, what does it mean? If you are a sculptor, let's say, and you want to carve and carve stuff, if you take a piece of marble, before you get to the, to, to the shape you intend for it, you need to really cut off some big chunks of marble. So the more it wastes, the more the statue grows. In order for the statue to be seen, there needs to be a sort of carving uh, process uh, in it. And he, uh, Michelangelo said that it was his job to free the human form trapped inside the block. That, that's what he, he said. So he was carving because he wants to come to uh, completion of a statue. That's Moses, I think, who, who he did. But before that thing being Moses, it was just a block of marble or whatever that is useless. No one likes it. But then when he carved out, something beautiful came out of it. And sometimes we might not, we might not understand why things happen to us. Many times we'd actually feel pain and hurt. We'd feel like, why is everything against me? Why We'd feel like God is maybe not even on our side anymore. Because when there are tough seasons in our lives, it's really hard to focus on the right thing and to focus that God is there for us. But what gives me hope and what we know or should know is, God, is that while we're suffering, our inner man, the new creation that God has given us is being renewed, is growing, is becoming stronger and more beautiful. The more the outer self wastes away, the more our inner being uh, becomes more beautiful. And that's like, a, like it's crazy, another sci-fi thing. Because if you think what this says is that as Christians, instead of decaying, we're actually becoming better. Better and better. Which means that even if my body dies, I will 
in, in my final form, if you want, I'll be a very beautiful thing because God is the one who works in my life and God is the one who carves in my, in my life. So what the Holy Spirit does is to renew my inner being. He makes me more and more beautiful or according to his will. This means that hardships and obstacles and the mantles we face are part of the process that the Holy Spirit is taking us through. Because I take every obstacle that comes in my life as a, as a learning opportunity. I either learn more about who God is or I learn more about what I can do and my potential and the capacity that God has within me. It means that no matter how hard it is in my life, I trust that God is on my side. We know that verse very well. For we know that all things work together for those that are called according to God's name and trust and love Him and trust in Him. So it means that no matter how hard it is in my life, and I've been through a few of these seasons, I trust that all things will work together for my own good. So I want to look at three stages in the process of sculpting. The first one is the rifling out. When he or she is ready to carve, the carver usually begins by knocking off or pitching large portions of unwanted stone. For this task, he may select a point chisel. The, the pitching tool is useful for splitting the stone and removing large unwanted chunks. The sculptor then selects a mallet, which is often a hammer with a broad barrel-shaped head, and then he must be careful to strike the end of the tool accurately. The difference between a good sculptor and a bad one is, uh, of course, you see the final product, but in the process, the way they, uh, they hit that chisel or whatever, the strike. So what this says is, in a way, is that when God is refining us, when God is uh, roughing us out, because we know we're not perfect, if anyone thinks they're perfect, like we can talk about it after, no one is perfect, but what God does in our lives is to remove unwanted chunks. He knows us better than anyone else, and that is another fact, it's true. He knows us the best. And because he loves us and he knows us, he wants to remove some things in our lives that are not there according to his will. Why? Because he, want, he has in his mind a form that he wants us to bring us to. So he has to remove some big chunks. And that is when, when the, the, the strike might be painful. And he does it, and it's a little like, why God? Why does this have to happen to me? And you don't understand, but God will continue. You don't know then, but he's working for something good, but you don't know in that moment. Because God has control over every situation. And sometimes it might be him who actually is doing the heartbeats in our lives because he has a process in mind that he will bring us to a completion in the, the final form he has for us. And the thing to remember here is that even if it sometimes hurts, God's accuracy will shape you in the form that he intends. So God doesn't, doesn't hit wrong, doesn't go wrong. He's perfect and very meticulous and very detailed in everything he's doing, okay? Second one is refining. Once the general shape of the statue has been determined, the sculptor uses other tools to refine the figure. Tools are generally used to add texture to the figure. The stone carver generally uses a shallower stroke at this point in the process. So that's when it gets a bit easier. If you think the hard moments in your life, the first time you suffer, like for me, one of them, let's say, when I sort of suffered because I was in love with girls and stuff like this, right? So then I suffer very much, and it's like it's the end of the world and stuff like this, you know? And then, and, then, and then a couple of weeks after, you're starting to, okay, it's a bit easier. I, I, I can bear it. So that's when the, the strikes are a bit uh, easier to sort of take on. It's, it's, God is still working, but the, the hard bit has, has passed. I've done probably the right choice or the right thing has happened. So now God is still continuing to refine me. It's not over, but I know that God is still working on my life. That's when I'm like, 
God, I think you're still in control. It's a bit better. But we're still not out of that process until the final stages where the, the sculpture has changed the stone from a rough block into a general shape of the finished statue. And that's when God will enhance the shape into its final form. So that's when you look back and you understand everything that happened. You understand the reason. You understand that it was all for your good. You didn't understand back then in the first stage. You started to sort of try to understand then. But when it's in the final form, you know God has worked in my life. I have something to show or something to say that will benefit other people. Which means that if, I, if it was hard for me in the past, God was there for me. He was in control of everything. So now if other people go to the same uh, process, I will be there for them and say, don't give up. You can do it. It is possible. God is there for you. And maybe when we proclaim God, we feel that some people in our lives are like scissors. Some of them are like hammers that are really... <laughs> we feel like this sometimes, especially when we speak to people we love. Because the, like the, the strike of a loved one is the most painful one. You don't really expect it. Especially family. You speak of God and immediately they're like, oh, the forbidden word, don't say it. You whatever extremist again, they will say so God will use people in our lives, and even if it's hard, even they feel like I'm going to stone you to death emotionally, God is in control, and I do not give up, even though I don't understand in that moment. And I know that I can say it, like now, it's easy to speak it out, but I know that in that moment, when we go into this process, we see everything but not God at work, you know? So what I would say, just hang on, don't lose heart, and don't give up, even if it's hard. Know that God is at work in your life. This morning, I... I woke up with this, this uh, it's, it, it's not a quote because it's mine, but anyway, <laughs> these words in my mind. God is carving in masterpieces, not in piggy banks. And I was like, that's weird. And I knew it's not from me because I don't think of piggy banks at all. So, <laughs> and I didn't dream about anything like that last night. So I said, what, what does it mean? I knew it's from God in my, in my heart. So I was thinking, sometimes we think, and some people say that, there is a treasure within you. And, and I was thinking about it and I said it's not entirely true. Why is that? Because if you take the money out of the piggy bank, then you, you separate them from each other. So they, they can only function together. You need to have a piggy bank that, that is with money. Otherwise, it's useless. And if you have the money, you need to put them in a piggy bank. We call it a bank account now uh, <laughs> to, to keep them in. So if God is to carve in our lives, he doesn't carve in a piggy bank to take out the treasure that is there. But God's, God carves in masterpieces that he already knows. So he sees a rough block and he starts to carve because he knows that there is a masterpiece in there. So what I'm saying is this. You are a masterpiece. And you are his masterpiece. And God, is, it's, not like, it's not like you have something amazing in you. You are amazing. You don't have something valuable in you. You are valuable. You are, uh, you are loved by God. And when God is shaping us, it's because... Is carving and he wants to bring us to that shape that he really, uh, he really intended for us. So know this, if it's hard for you, that's good because it is a sign that God, there is a masterpiece in you that God wants to bring to that form. When I first try to, when I first, try is too much to say, but when it's hard, let's say, I trust that God, there is something in me that God wants to bring uh, for everyone to see. Two different seasons. Sometimes it's patience, sometimes it's other stuff. But as I speak about God and people Persecute me. Oh, we're not persecuted, okay? Persecution most of the times ended up in death. So we're not as persecuted as others. But we know that when we're not like, we're not holding only a treasure. 
but we are a treasure in God's eyes. And we need to understand this. And God wants, wants everyone to see that treasure he has placed in you. In the world, he will carve it out in the right shape to, to bring him glory and for everyone to see it as well. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then steadfastness having its full effect, no, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What this says is this, it is possible to be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. That's what it's saying. But for it to happen, you need to go to that season. And oftentimes we see it in the Bible, while we see it in our lives. Uh, a hard season precedes a very blessed season. That's how it normally happens as a, as a general rule. So if we want to become the people that God intended us to be, we sometimes need to go to a tough season. And just, you've seen those. I think every one of us knows one of those people that really have had a tough past or life or something like this. Or they've just been through a tough season. And when you talk to them, there is a certain confidence. There's a certain uh, strength and power in their words. When they speak, it's like, I know what they're talking about. There is something there. So count it as, count it as a blessing when people say things about you or when you are persecuted or any, when anyone says anything they want or they, they mock you or they gossip you or they really mean to you. Count it blessing because that creates something beautiful in you. And that's what God does through, to the, even to the people that are really mean to us. It's maybe family because that's when it's more, most painful. But every season of our lives we should approach it knowing this. And we have the hope and confidence that even if it's hard we are getting stronger. Even if we feel weak, we we'll we'll become more and more mature. And we are being refined in something beautiful that God has intended for us. And it will bring glory to him and benefit all the people around us. And many times, our maturity and growth is closely linked to hard moments. And because, I know I said this before, but imagine if someone is born and you put, put that, that girl, let's say, you put her in a wardrobe for 50 years, and they say, come out, there will be no maturity in there, apart from physical maturity, but there's no, because she hasn't been through things in life. And it's the, it's the same for us. If we want to be mature, we need to go through this sort of seasons. So count it a blessing if it's hard, because God is maturing you and is making you complete and making you in the image and the form that he intended for you. Second reason why we never give up is that we have an eternity focus. Because present momentary hardships prepare us for future eternal glory. Why am I saying this? Because in this verse it says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So of course, link the colors. <laughs> Light with weight, they're, they're uh, opposed to each other. Momentary and eternal, two different words. Affliction and glory, again, two, di two different words. What this says is that uh, the light and momentary afflictions prepare for us an eternal weight of glory. And the key words are, is preparing for us. In order to get the eternal weight of glory, you will go through light momentary afflictions. This says another thing that if I am to compare what happens in my present, if I am to compare what happens in this season of my life with eternity, it's light. It's easy. If I am to compare uh, the hardest season of my life with how it's to be in God's glory, it's good. Because I, I, I tend to look. I have an eternity focus. What, what gives me hope and why I never give up, I have an, eternally, an eternity focus. It, when I did my like, strength finder test, my number one is that I'm futuristic. Like, was that? <laughs> so futuristic means that you know and you hope and you believe that things will be better. So which means that no matter how hard it is in the moment, at, at the present, I know I'm going to be with God and glory awaits me. 
everything that is now, it's momentary. It will pass. Look, I'm, I'm 26, and then when did 26 years pass just like this? The older you are, the more probably you think, like, when did my life just <laughs> go like this? You know, and you, you understand uh, that everything that happens now, it's momentary. It's just, it's like, it's like almost like nothing. Even though it's hard, and even though when we go through these seasons, we don't see anything glorious or eternal, I know, but we trust and we have hope that even though things will happen to me, eternal weight of glory awaits for me. And that whatever is hard now is preparing me for that thing. So that's why we will never ever give up. Third point, why we never give up is because we look to God. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And this is where we start to live by faith. Even though I don't see God, I cannot show you God, I trust and I know that he is there. I was speaking uh, this weekend many times with people that don't really believe in God, and I tell them, let's imagine for a second that I live all my life for God, for Jesus. I give everything I am, I put like in his service if you want. And then I die, and we both die, let's say, uh, and then I discover that God does not exist. Let's say he does not exist. What did I lose? I lost nothing. I lost nothing. But let's imagine for a second that what I'm saying is true, that God does exist. And you waste all your life. You never want to place your trust in Jesus at all. And we both die again. And you discover God did exist. What are you going to do then? Even logically. So I'm not going in the Bible, okay? Let's just logically saying it makes sense to put your trust in Jesus. And what gives us courage and we never give up, we know that God does exist. And even in, in absurd, let's say he does not exist, I still lose nothing. But we know that as Christians, we win everything. We win glory and God is for us. And God will be there. And as Christians, we believe that he exists. And everything we're doing in life is for him. So our empowered proclamation, and we don't give up because we know that he is, he is there, he exists. We look to God. We have an eternity, eternal focus. He is there for us. And I'll conclude by reading this verse and worshiping can join me. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What this verse is saying that the Lord will keep you. No matter how hard it is, God is there. God is on your side. No matter how hard the, the times are, He will never, never leave you. No matter where you're going, where you're coming, what, what you, your walk in life is, God is there for you. And what you have to do is to raise your eyes and say, I'm looking to you, Jesus. I don't understand things complete, but I'm looking to you as I put my trust in you. So would you just stand up with me, please, as we, as we pray? And I, I, want to, I want to make sort of two invitations. And the first one is for those people that really, they don't really place their, life in, their faith in Jesus and their life in Jesus. And as we all of us keep our eyes closed and heads bowed, I just want to ask this simple question. If you want to start putting your, your trust in Jesus, and if you want to say, I want to commit myself to you, Jesus, would you just raise your hand, please? Anyone? Yes. Anyone else? 
I'm going to pray for that person. Yes, God, we do thank you, Jesus, that you are grace, Lord. And we do thank you that our lives in your hands are the best place, Lord, to be in. We thank you that even though it's hard many times, you are for us, my God. And I really thank you that you, are, you, are, you bring forgiveness, Lord. No matter how many bad things we've done in life, you forgive us, my God. We thank you, Lord, that you, we, we have new beginnings every single day, Lord. And we thank that as long as we repent, Lord, you forgive every single sin in our lives. And I really pray for this person, Lord. I really pray that you might stir something in their heart, Lord, to get to know you more and more, Lord. As she starts this new journey of knowing you more and more, my God. As she places her trust in you. We thank you for your salvation and we thank you for your grace, my God. And secondly, I want also to pray for anyone in this place who feels that they're, they're going through one of these tough seasons. Maybe family, maybe at work, maybe even personally, you feel like, I cannot do it anymore. I cannot go on like this. So I just, I just maybe ask you to raise your hands and people around you to pray for you as I'll conclude in prayer. So if you're going you know, through one of these really hard seasons and you feel like, I, I, I want to give up, just, just raise your hand and we'll pray together for you as, as a church. Okay, I'm going to pray. Lord, I really pray, but first of all, I want to thank you that you are for us and you're never against us, Lord. We thank you that you keep us in your hand, Lord. And we thank you that even though we don't understand what things happen to us, you are, you are sovereign over everything, Lord. We thank that all things work together for our own good, Lord, as we trust in you and are called by you and we love you, Lord. I will pray for all these people, Lord, for everyone that goes through one of these seasons, Lord. I pray for your peace in their hearts, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you might make them aware that you live within their hearts, Lord. That you empower us. I pray that you might strengthen the weak knees, Lord. That they may walk, Lord. Rise them up, Lord. Raise them up, my God. And give us the confidence and the assurance that we belong to you, Lord. And no matter what happens in our lives, we will be with you at some point, Lord. Help us to grasp this truth that for us to live is Christ and to die is gain, Lord. And we thank you for your mercy and for your love, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have never left us, Lord. Even if sometimes we feel like we're alone, we are never alone. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.